Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. God bless that jury. When I heard there was a verdict and I was at first stunned, and then, of course, I was filled with hope because I thought there was no way they would come back that quickly unless there was unanimity. And how could there be unanimity among that diverse jury on anything other than guilt? So much has been said about this, what it means, what it doesn't mean, what it imports, what it, uh, what it does not. Um, I want to just, if you don't mind, start with something I came across uh, this morning. It was the initial police report. Uh, that was posted by the Minneapolis Police Department, posted May 25th, 2020. And it says, well, it actually has a headline, Man Dies After Medical Incident During Police Interaction. On Monday evening, shortly after 8 p.m., officers from the Minneapolis PD responded to the 3700 block of Chicago Avenue South on a report of a forgery in progress. Officers were advised that the suspect was sitting on top of a blue car and appeared to be under the influence. Two officers arrived and located the suspect, a male believed to be in his 40s, in his car. He was ordered to step from his car After he got out, he physically resisted officers. Officers were able to get the suspect into handcuffs and noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress. Officers called for an ambulance. He was transported to Hennepin County Medical Center where he died a short time later. At no time were weapons of any type used by anyone involved in this incident. That's the initial police report. That the officers handcuffed him and then noticed he was in some kind of medical distress and immediately called for an ambulance. And he was dead shortly after arrival at the hospital. That's the police report. Imagine how many other police reports are fictions like this one. And imagine, but for that teenage girl who saw something awful happening in front of her eyes. Darnella Frazier, she was 17 years old, 
and she had the intelligence. She changed everything by virtue of what she did, because save for that video, right? The story that the police put out as the report of what had happened on South Chicago that night would have been Well, the truth. It's the police report. That police report said absolutely nothing about the fact that they put this poor man face down on the ground and then took his life in an excruciating way. As our president said, in broad daylight, murdered him. And then went back and made their report. A fiction. It was a fiction. Oh, they noticed he was in distress right after they handcuffed him. Oh, of course, they called the police. What good, good souls. And Sadly, he was, he was dead. But for Darnella Frazier, there would be no justice in this case. Of course, think. <laughs> think. Try to even conceive of all the other cases murdered by police and then fictions posing as police reports are what is reported. The media report that a man after a complaint of a forgery died in police custody of some kind of medical ailment. They transported him immediately. But he died. No weapons had been used. Imagine how many people's murders have been covered up in this way. We know now that that has to be the case. And one of the things that, I mean, without this video, without her, without this teenage girl, this would have just been another black man being murdered in broad daylight by police and never, ever seeing even a whiff of truth or justice about his last moments. And the fact that she kept that video going from the beginning until the end, that was the star witness. 
we all, the world, became witnesses to this murder. And it is why, because of that video, that George Floyd's name became known and shouted on streets all over this nation, night after night after night. A Washington Post article about this girl points out that she has never drawn attention to herself. We saw her as a witness, early witness in the trial. And the fact that she had been so affected and still was affected by what she had seen. She said he was suffering. He was in pain. It seemed like he knew it was over for him. He was terrified. And she has brushed back all efforts to make her a hero. She has said, when given some award by some group, it's just a lot to take in. It's just a lot to take in. And she said that she felt so helpless. And the only thing she could do was what she did. Darnella Frazier. Say her name. but for her. And also the other thing, and the reason that I was, you know, out there early, even though nobody believed it, I said there would be a conviction, right? Was not just the video, but it was mostly the video. It was also the fact that the other thing that always gets in the way of holding police accountable for these murders is that that blue line cracked in this case. Other officers, many other officers, including the chief of police, testified for the prosecution, which almost never happens. Now you can argue that they did it because they knew that that video indicted them all if they didn't say this was not one of us. This is someone who didn't do what we have been trained to do. So you had Danielle Frazier, a teenage girl, taking her little niece out to get some ice cream. 
and you had the police seeing this video and knowing that they needed to step away from their usual defense of one of their own. And then what do you get? You get a semblance of justice. But as you know, before the jury's verdict came down, police in Columbus, I believe, Ohio, right? Shot dead a 15-year-old girl who had a knife and was wielding it. We know, of course, about the 13-year-old boy who followed the police instructions to drop your gun. He did, hands up, and was shot. We know about Dante Wright, 20-year-old, And in that case, of course, the police officer said, oops, I thought my gun, I thought my taser, my, was a, I, I thought it was my taser. Now you tell me in these, those three cases, the 13-year-old black boy, the Latino boy, the 15-year-old black girl, the 20-year-old black kid. You think they're going to get the same kind of justice, do you? In some, we have body cams, right? So there is some video. But it is not quite as egregious, is it? Because all involves split-second decisions that police have to make. There was nothing split-second about the nine-plus minutes that Derek Chauvin took the life out of George Floyd. And so... I am not assuming that this case is a harbinger of a lot of guilty verdicts against police officers who kill. What I think needs to be done, obviously, is some reformation, right? And it can't happen overnight. There has to be, if any of this is going to stop, a reformation of our very idea of what policing is. Because it has become, it has become something so violent, so warlike, so militarized, so shoot first, ask questions later, so hair trigger. The Reformation has to start with who can be 
a cop. I have always maintained that because, at least I know it's true in Pittsburgh and probably almost every other uh, police department, that veterans, military veterans, are given a little bit of a leg up when they apply to be police. I don't think that that should be the case because a police officer is not the same as a soldier. It is not the military. Okay, uh, a former veteran knows something about, yes, being armed and taking orders and uh, whatever, but mostly what soldiers are trained to do is kill. So why? Why, if we're going to stop this, would we give people who have been trained to kill, right, in a whole other situational thing, trained to kill, why would we say you're exactly the kind of person we're looking for? That's nuts. The whole confusion about police and military, this total blurring of lines that has happened in the last, I don't know what, 20 years, 30 years, has got to be rolled back. It is not conducive to being a police officer, a peace officer who serves his or her community. It just ain't. Nor is all the crazy looking riot gear. Having cops who look like Darth Vader. That is not. It creates and has created a mentality. And the mentality is us against them. You can tell with protests. You could tell with the protests in Pittsburgh that the police view the protesters as threats, potential threats, as potential enemy. And they're on guard. They're outfitted for war. There were well over a hundred protests last year in Pittsburgh because of George Floyd's death. And well over a hundred of them were totally peaceful. And those in which some violence occurred on occasion, it was started by troublemakers, a tiny minority of the people that were in the streets. And often it was caused by police overreaction. 
we've got to rethink what a cop is, what the job is. I think rather than going looking for future police in, uh, in, in, in the military, we should look in human services. We should look in uh, people who are you know, trained to help people, social workers, people who know something about de-escalation of human situations, right? What exists in this country now is not acceptable. And innocent people are going to continue to die, especially innocent people of color, because this is, and if we haven't found that out yet, it is a country that we live in that is by nature, in the bone and blood, racist. And so I, being approached by a cop, do not have the same reaction as a black person being approached by a cop by virtue of what I know. I'm not seen as a threat. But we know even little black boys, black boys playing in a park with a toy gun. are seen as true threats. I think we have a caller. Go ahead, please. Lynn? Yeah. I just, just going back to a point about the military having extra, getting extra points to be hired. Yeah. Yeah. That's in, that's in all civil service type jobs. I well, found that taking civil service tests that the military okay. who Gets took a few it points. got extra okay. points. Yeah, well, they shouldn't right. do it for police because it's one thing if you're going into the civil service and you're going to be a bureaucrat somewhere. And it's another thing if you're going to have a badge, a gun, and other lethal weaponry. Because if you're trained as a soldier, you're trained yeah. to kill. I I I ha I have to agree with you, but I'm just saying that. That's okay, the that that's why that's where it's from. Then right. there should be an exception. Yeah, then I'm that's sure. where there has to be an exception. Right. That has to stop because it's getting us the wrong people, and there has to be better psychological vetting because how many veterans do we know who've been in these and. Afghanistan and Iraq yeah, and PTSD who and have PTSD. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Who are easily, uh, easily made to feel threatened. Yeah. Yeah. So what are we thinking? It's stupid. But I thank you for that piece of information. Yeah, All you. civil servants. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank man. you. Bye. -bye. Appreciate it. Wow. Well, I saw somebody, and, and this is true too. 
um, all over the country uh, yesterday as soon as it was known that a, the jury had reached a verdict. What happened? Hmm? What happened in police departments all over the country? They geared up for war. They geared up for war. They were in a state of high alert, not just in Minneapolis, in Pittsburgh, in New York, in Paducah, anywhere. And again, that kind of knee-jerk response to people might be protesting in the streets. There's got to be something better. I saw a, a tweet last night. Somebody said probably the, the most important result of the verdict is that police all over this country have lost a chance to tear into protesters tonight. Yeah, I think that's true. But there will be other instances, and if we don't learn, if we are incapable of change, then George Floyd will be a one-off. The fact that he got a measure of justice, if not his life, he's got a measure of justice, that cop. And you can imagine, as I looked at Chauvin here, the sentence, I was thinking, what is going through his head? Such cognitive dissonance. Wait a minute, what? I'm a cop. Cops always get off. How dare they say I murdered somebody? I always, we always, always. And you know what? That statement is still true. You don't want to read quite too much into this. I read something in the Atlantic that I think nailed it. And it is that this trial, this verdict, demonstrates why the courts will remain a challenging venue to reform law enforcement in the United States. It's not gonna happen in the courts because other juries are not going to do what this jury did with all of its evidence. This jury could do nothing else. Again, and, and President Biden just nailed it. 
It was a murder in full light of day, and it ripped the blinders off for the whole world to see. For so many, it feels like it took all of that. And he's talking about the video and the police turning on one of their own. It took all of that to deliver for the our judicial system to deliver just basic accountability. Right. Historically, <clears throat> murder prosecutions of police are rare. And not just rare, extremely rare. And among the very few cops who have been charged with murder, convictions are even rarer. In this case, finally, the prosecutors had an extraordinarily strong hand and they played it impeccably, beautifully. So anybody who's thinking this is some exoneration of all of the past police uh, killings um, and the future killings and lack of justice delivered by juries, uh, it's, it's going to continue. There's rarely video evidence so clear and so compelling. And as I said, uh, an officer who shoots somebody in a split second decision is almost always going to be given the benefit of the doubt by a juror. Always. So this casual, cruel murder by Derek Chauvin was different in that respect. And if there is to be reform, it ain't going to come from juries. This is going to be and will have been unusual. Is there another caller there? If so, go ahead. Hey, hey. am I on? Yeah, you're on. Oh, uh, no, I was going to say the, uh, yeah, the brazenness of that video just shows the, the license to kill that we have given the police for so many years. That's right. But when you were talking about the, uh, you know, the readiness of huge police forces to, to, um, turn on its citizens, really, ultimately, this comes back to this whole fact that we have militarized, we have given the equipment That's right. to a forces, which started during the Bush era, right? Remember they started sending over all that surplus? I don't know. I'm not sure which president. It might. It could have been a Democrat or a Republican because it was just, as usual with our huge bloated Pentagon budgets, we had given the military so much 
stuff that they couldn't in fact use that they, somebody had the bright idea of, Hey, let's give it away to the cops. That's and so it. you've got, you know, you've got these little teeny departments in a, in a town of, you know, uh, 2000 people that might have some tank. <laughs> and that's when you started to see the SWAT teams uh, come in there. There didn't used to be these SWAT teams. Right. When you do a, a culture of aggression coupled with untrained personnel and and the culture of the police that gives license to kill and then you equip them with toys, the toys of war on the homeland. I mean, this is what you get. That's right. Exactly. And I mean, I, we've just watched this. You know, I'm in my 60s. I've watched this progression, right? Yes, you And do. um I still remember, you know, I still remember, remember when Pittsburgh hosted the, what was it, G20? Yeah. yeah. I, I, um, then our studios were uh, downtown on Smithfield Street and I, I opted to stay overnight in downtown so that I could be certain that I would see anything that was happening. I have to tell you, as I walked through the streets of Pittsburgh that afternoon and evening, I have never felt such foreboding and such confusion because it did not look like any city in the democracy should look. There were, I mean, if you'll remember, they brought in police from all over the country. There were, you could, there were like, it was an armed camp. I live in Squirrel Hill, and I walked my dog up to the CMU campus. I'll never forget this either. And remember, they hosted the at, yeah at, at, at yeah they had the dinner yes yes well up on CMU's campus with my dog, and then right up around Flagstaff Hill, there were like snipers in the trees. That's right. There were I mean, snipers I, on top of the in the trees. Wow, I could see out the window of our studio snipers on building tops all over the city. Um, and I suddenly got creeped out, and I saw these military guys, and I was like, I don't think I should be here. <laughs> yeah, right. Like You were not welcome. And you know what I thought at the time, and I'll say again, if that is how leaders of the world can only feel comfortable getting together to talk, then they should have their meetings at a military base somewhere, exactly. right? And let the rest of us live our lives. It's not that anyone coming from another country, any world leader, saw Pittsburgh. They saw an armed camp, which I guess is all they ever see. Right. And that's why, and you know, and what that does is militarizing the inner cities like that. I remember my shock at that, what, 20 years ago or whatever, you know, 15 yeah. years ago. And it's lessened because over time, you know, by the, by the time I saw, you know, the police forces, uh, you know, with long arms uh, in East Liberty during the Black Lives Matter, you're thinking, oh, this is huge. Yeah. Young people have no clue that this is not how things were or should be. And it's this, you know, insidious, like, you know, creeping well, I, in of whatever. I, I do have to tell you that the first time I had this reaction, though, was uh, when I was in my early 20s. So that's all, that's 50 years ago. Um, it was the year was 1968. 
and I happened to be in school in Chicago. And I went down uh, to visit a great aunt of mine who lived right off of Michigan Avenue. And when I got off the, the L, the elevated train, I saw tanks yep. with barbed wire on their fronts on the corner at the Walgreens. I mean, where I got, and, 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 and soldiers in, and this was, you know, a day maybe or two before the convention. And so there, right there, 1968, because they knew protesters were going to be anti-war protesters were coming. So there was that reaction then too. I saw tanks in Pittsburgh in 1968. Okay, there you go. So it's not all, yeah. Uh, I I know, but that was, that was a far off memory, but I had never seen anything like that until maybe yeah, starting right. how many years. And, and that felt like I can remember, like I was in, lived in Oakland at the time and I could see the, the hill was, a, was on fire, certain yes. the hill. And so I could right. see the smoke, you know, and I'll never forget my father came downstairs and he had a pistol. He had a holster and a pistol and all the children were just like, what is going on? And like, where did that come from? And I don't know if he had that from World War II or something. Because the guy did not carry guns. It was the only time I saw it. And I knew Well, you know, and that came from stop and think what was happening. That you're talking about then, that horrible year, 68. So you're talking about uh, the aftermath of the assassination of Dr. King. Exactly. And when black America in its anguish uh, rose up. And yeah, you look at all this stuff and it's always, uh, yeah, terror of what these black people and the white people who side with them sometimes uh, might do. We've got so much work to do and I don't know. I don't know. It's happening. It's happening slowly. And, you know, I just keep telling, I was telling some um, 30 year olds the other day that uh, a couple of months ago that, you know, you can't, progress is being made. I'm only in my early 60s, but I said, you know, if you would have asked me when I was your age, did I think that we would ever have a black man as the president of this country? I would have said, absolutely not. There is no way that could possibly happen. But you know what? But look at this. We did. Right. And look what happened afterwards. White America recoiled. Yes, yes it did. And gave us Donald Trump, a white nationalist, white supremacist, and let all of the ugliness right out like it hadn't been in since the Civil War. I mean, unbelievable. That was the... Yes, we elected a black man. And then the rest of America said, well, we'll put an end to that. Right. Well, it's been exposed. And uh, uh, yeah, because, you know, that's a couple years ago. I appreciate you trying to see that there has been. Yes, there has been progress. Some progress. And I think George Floyd's death and the reaction to it has created more progress than I have ever seen. It has made any any white person, any non-black person, 
who has an open, open eyes, an open head, open heart. It has let them see for the first time, maybe, what it is to live in black skin in this country. And people who don't see it, who refuse to still see it, have they're being willfully blind and I, and if they think they're not racist, <laughs> I got, I got news for them. I got, and the rest of us who've seen it have so much more work to do ourselves. Yeah, we really do. We've, a lot of us are a lot more tuned in than we ever were before. That's progress. I agree, and I can think of all the people I've had arguments with over the last 10 years that do people that do not accept that racism exists in this country. <laughs> no. Well, no. Yeah, but this is vehemently, and some people who consider themselves even sort of like... Liberals. Not liberal. Well, yeah, liberal. Yeah, right. Well, and it's like, that's yeah. over with. I remember a fight I had at a family function and like five years ago. With a couple people turning on me going like, you're crazy. It doesn't exist anymore. We are so past that. And I'm like, you guys are clueless, right? Well, and, you know, we have a, a whole bunch. Right. I mean, as you said, we elected a black man. How are we a racist country? Exactly. We, we exactly. Um, and, and in fact, that's what the, uh, the Supreme Court, you know, threw out almost every bit of the Voting Rights Act because, hey, we elected a black man. There's no... We got no troubles now. We don't need this stuff anymore. And yeah, it's bull. That's bull. So, well, let's it's, hope. It's all part of the process. I know. I, I do. I'm a, an eternal optimist. It's it's hard in the middle of it, but you have to realize how slow this change. This particularly is is. Incredible. Oh, this is going to be. It, it. It. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. But thank you so much for your call. Bye. Thank you. You know, so we get this verdict. That's good. But today the police are still the police. And I, boy, greater minds than, than mine are going to have to figure out what does it mean? What is it that we want from a police? department? What is it we're asking of them? And I like the fact that maybe a few more cops in this country might be a little less willing to feel that they're not being watched or that they won't be held accountable. But there has to be a wholesale change monies have got to come out of this punitive policing and justice system we have and instead be invested in schools in in mental health care in 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 housing and social services and supporting communities my god we've got to put things on their heads we have to have the courage to reinvent ourselves. 
I had a thought when I was driving that long, 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 long drive from Pittsburgh to Green Bay, Wisconsin. At one point I saw, um, well, at a few points, I saw state police having pulled someone over. And I had this thought, and I don't know if it's worthy of anything, but I thought, you know what? If every time you see that the police have pulled someone over and you can see that that someone is black or brown, maybe we should pull over too. I'm not sure what the law is regarding that. Um, on a city street, it shouldn't be a problem. I know that we are able to stand there, as did as did uh, Daniela Frazier, as police deal with a suspect, that you can stand there, you have the right to, and you have the right to record what's going on. And maybe what white folks can do, and black folks too, but what white folks could do is if you're walking around or if you're in your car and you see a stop and you see they got a black guy out, stop and take your phone out and just start recording. Is that a crazy idea or is that something we could do. And if that were to become a thing, <laughs> uh, would not maybe a few lives be saved? I don't know. As I said, just a thought in my head as I flew through Ohio. And when I, you know, walk my dog in my neighborhood, it seems like every other house has one of these Black Lives Matter or no hate here or we believe in science and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I have to tell you, that doesn't change a damn thing. I mean, the negative word for it is virtue signaling. <laughs> Look at us. We're virtuous. Don't think. And, and, and what's odd, and I, I'm not saying take all those signs down, but if you put a sign up like that, you've done nothing. Nothing. If you stop and photograph the arrest of a black man, then that's doing something. Action. And one of the amusing things I thought on this one street near my house, how house after house after house has one of these signs. And I know there's white people living in those houses, right? And then there's a house that doesn't have the sign. And guess what? There are two black children living in that house. I guess maybe they don't have to signal their virtue. 
two black children adopted by a white couple. There's no sign in front of that house. I'm sick of the signs. I'm sick of the, I'm sick of that because it's, it does next to nothing, next to nothing. And it's too damn easy. Anything that's easy, chances are it's not worth it. I think we need to get active. And I don't know if I, it would take some courage, I guess, to stop and make yourself a a witness to a police interaction. And people have, you know, police will act threatening in those cases, like get out of here, you can't. And there's been many a case where someone who's doing that has refused to move. And believe me, it it is within our rights to do that. The ACLU has done a million of these cases. You have the right to do it. And I don't know if any of you think that that might possibly be helpful. But as I said, it's an idea I had, and I'm going to challenge myself. After all, I'm an old white lady. What are they going to do to me? We have another caller. Caller, go ahead, please. Hello, LC. How are you today? I'm okay. Uh, question. How come it's going to take eight weeks to sentence this guy? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think the wheels of justice, you know, who knows? There there has to be an opportunity for the defense is going to file motions to appeal this or that. All kinds of stuff sort of happens before the final thing, which is the sentencing. And it shouldn't bother you because he was he is now a convicted murderer. And uh, he's in jail, and he ain't getting out anytime soon. So what we don't know is, you know, what the eventual sentence will be. But um, and that'll be something interesting too. I guess it'll be there. I read that the average sentence for second degree uh, uh, murder in in Minnesota is about ten to twelve years. And that doesn't seem like enough to me. So we'll see. And they're going to appeal. I thought, was, I thought it was 40. No, that's the, that's the, that, you know, they have a sentencing guy. It's, it's, um, I think 10 to 40 years or five to who knows what, you know, because every murder is a little bit different, you know, some more heinous than others. Um, you can tack on. I would think this is one of the more heinous murders ever. Um, and yeah, he should get 40 years. He should never see the light of day again. Remember what Mick Jagger said in uh, Sympathy for the Devil, every cop is a criminal. <clears throat> yeah. And what's the next line? Every cop is a criminal and all the something saints who, what were the, who were the saints? 
every cop's a criminal and all the saints. But the thing is, every cop is not a criminal. And, you know, I don't go that far. I know I get into it with my son all the time on this. There are good police. There are good police. But to be a good police now, what the police are going to have to realize, and we legislatures could help in this way. Laws could be passed that say that if you're a cop and you do nothing to intervene when another cop is doing something like Chauvin did, then you too are in big, big trouble. And it's I don't know what's going to happen to these, yeah, these three other cops that still have to, that have been charged. I don't know what's going to happen to those guys that were, that stood there and watched and may have been appalled, but Chauvin outranked them or he was more of a veteran and they did what cops do. They just shut up and let the, let the big bully do his thing. I don't know. Well, now for something different. Okay. How's your back doing? Oh, it's coming along. You know, I need to be being better at doing my rehab exercises. They're so boring. Uh, so I have to rebuild up my um, my muscle strength because for almost a year I was not able to walk very much. So, you know, my legs are weak and, but my back is good. I, they did a hell of a job. I, um, I am so grateful. I did that. It's been good. Well, that's great to hear. Thank you. Thank you for asking. <laughs> okay. I got two other things. Okay. All right. One, your sister has an evil laugh. Oh, does she? You, can you see that? Okay, well, I... <laughs> oh, God. It's like a, yeah, like a witch's laugh? Are you kidding? Really? Okay. Yeah, that's what I think when I hear a laugh. Okay, well, okay. I'll, uh, I'll make a point of listening. Do I? Well, we, one other thing. Uh, wait, do I have an time? evil laugh? Wait, do I have an evil laugh? Because Susan and I sound so much alike. Nah, not you. Not like her. Okay. Is Bill still in town? No, he left yesterday. <laughs> he left. I was going to request if you could get him on the show for tomorrow. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I could by phone. What do you want to hear from him? Anything I'll just say something different. <laughs> well, we could. God knows. He knows a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. Um yeah, we could. No, it's just me and my mom now. I'm the last one here. Where's Susan? Susan's in uh, Chicago. She has not been here. Uh, the reason I came is because Susan had to go back to her home because she's expecting um, a, a grandchild, her, her daughter's first child, and she wants to be there. Well, that's good. As long as she yeah. doesn't laugh at them. Geez, Margaret's agreeing. Susan does have an evil laugh. See that? Should I tell Susan this? No, I'm not going to tell her this. Eh, maybe she could change the tune a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> but a laugh, a laugh is so much, you know, it's just who, it's you. Your laugh is your laugh. 
What is she supposed to do? It's like the Wicked Witch of the West. Oh, gee. (laughs) (laughs) There, like that? No. Yeah, well, a little bit. (laughs) I don't know. Susan has a lot lot more, um, uh, you know, sort of hostility in her, I think, than than I do. And, And maybe that's it's showing that side. I don't know. Wow. I mean, if you if if you were in a dark alley, which one of us would you rather bump into? Well, you, of course. <laughs> yeah, I don't seem as threatening. I wouldn't want to bump too hard, but, you know. <laughs> okay. okay, well, listen, Lynn, see if you can get Bill on tomorrow and change the pace up a little bit, all right? You're sick of this, huh? Absolutely. You know, Debbie Downer. Oh, geez. I knew yesterday was a downer, but today, what was I supposed to talk about? Huh? I don't know. Got to be some kidding? good news out there somewhere. Oh, yeah, right. Well, you find it and let me know, okay? You got it, baby. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Debbie Downer. Yeah, I mean, I felt that way after yesterday's show. What a downer. Had. Um, okay, so uh, the Attorney General, Barbara tells me, has announced an investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department could, you know, result in a, in them having a consent decree. Uh, you know, that happened, come on, that happened to the Pittsburgh Police Department. What did it do? Did it reform the Pittsburgh police? I'm asking. I don't know. But I I don't think. I really don't think it did. Is that a new caller? Clarence. Ah, I bet he's going to defend Susan. Clarence. I'll, I'll make it quick. How dare him talk about Susan's life? There you go. I knew it. See? I knew it. <laughs> no, but, yeah, but I was sitting there thinking, her laugh isn't evil. It's mischievous. You know, because I, I have a baby sister, too, who every time she gets me, she got that little hee hee hee. It's that little mischievous baby sister laugh. It's a hee hee hee. It's not evil, but it's mischievous. Okay, you're saying it's a baby sister laugh. It's a baby Man. sister laugh. My, my little sister likes to get me, and she always has that, hee, 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 gotcha, kind of laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll call talk about cops some other day. I know it's like the end of the, end of the time. So Yeah, it is. But your and, general reaction when you got, you weren't, were you surprised? Surprised? No. Yeah. Uh, no. Well, I, I was surprised when they said the jury has come back with a verdict that quickly. I said, oh, yeah. that's a guilty verdict. You can't. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, exactly. um, that, that You know, that, that was the surprise. I knew he was guilty, at, you know, after that thing. But, you know, there was always that little seed of doubt that, you know, they might get off. You know, they might have gotten off. But it's, it's very, it was very small, like you said, with all the video and all the evidence. And all oh, man. If they, I mean, you know what? If they had <laughs> acquitted him... Yeah, the the whole country should have gone up in flames. I mean, really, and I would you would understand it. 
Yeah, and, and the, at the end of the, it had been, it had been said, "Black lives don't matter." You just, you guys might admit right. it. Black lives don't matter. Just, just say exactly. it. <laughs> just say it, right? Right. Yeah, say it. We've been very clear now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. You're, you're such a, you're, you're, you're a gallant soul. I will. Uh, and and I'm also yes. going to disagree about bringing Bill on. I just woke up from Bill's uh, Monday show. <laughs> I fell asleep for like three days. I missed the show yesterday because Bill <laughs> had to put you to sleep. Oh, no, that's I'm, so I'm funny. I, but, yeah, but you know, I'm being, I'm being, I'm actually joking because I listen to professors and yeah, you know, yeah. all day long on YouTube. I'm sitting there listening to these long, big worded. You know, I'm <laughs> friends with Blobius for Christ's sake. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. Like about a boring guy. Yeah. Oh, you, right. got one, you got one minute because it's a cop Blovius story. Okay, but quick. Yeah. Okay. Way back when Blovius had a place up on uh, a Troy Hill, him and a right. guy who was working on his place were got into an argument. The guy threatened Blovius. Blovius called the cops. I'm there. The cops come up, and I, I'm like 20 feet away with my head down and my hands behind my side, right? Just, you know, and, uh, and they're sitting there arguing with the cops, both of them are screaming with the cops and all this. I'm just standing there. I don't have anything to add. <laughs> Blobby said, why did you say anything? I'm like, dude, in this situation with two white guys fighting, I'm the only black guy up here. I'm the one getting shot. I'm like, I'm not saying a word. I'm like a statue. I didn't look up. I literally sat there with my hands on my side, you know, kind of looking up, you know, up to the top of us. I said, dude, I ain't saying nothing. That's not Yeah. Well, yes, your survival instincts are intact. I don't. When you were talking about taking pictures, you said, yeah, old white lady, you go ahead and film them. I'm not stopping in the middle of a highway. No, but don't you think that's something something that white people could do? That's one thing that they actually could do. You know, yeah, that's good. I'm glad you think it's not. Because I know I'm not doing it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. No, and you shouldn't. No, it's something white people, white people, especially old white people, should do. Yeah. And I'm an old black guy. You know what I mean? With, yeah, with, no, a boy, with a voice, I could be all charming. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it does not matter. Well, thanks for the story. I okay. appreciate it. Right. Okay, bye. Have Come a here. wonderful day. I will. Thank okay. you. Right. Bye. 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 All right, you guys. Tomorrow, I don't know about my brother. I don't know about anything else. Somebody sent me something fascinating about, remember I was talking about eating songbirds uh, yesterday, and this is more on that, which is appalling. But I, I, I am going to share it with you tomorrow. It's really something. <laughs> okay. That's a warning. Okay. All right. You don't want to talk about the police? We'll talk about eating little songbirds. Mm. You have a great day. Don't mind that snow. Don't mind it. It's gone. Going. Going. Gone. See you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.